Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Basketball to Business Media Podcast, where we help basketball player developers increase their sales, build awareness, and scale their training business. If you like to learn more about what we do and take action towards getting more clients, check us out at www.basketballtobusiness.com. Now, here's your host, my son Jones. All right. So right now I have with me Patrick. Is that, am I pronouncing that again uh, correctly? Yep. That's pretty good for a guy who probably didn't grow up with a bunch of Irish people. <laughs> What's the accent on the end of it? How do you pronounce it? It's Padraig. There's a golfer named Padraig Harrington that has the same name, but I'm the only Padraig O'Brien, I think, in the country. Yeah, I think when I searched, I didn't find any other one. So I'm here with Padraig O'Brien, 20-plus years in player development experience, started with seven graders, trains pros, NBA guys, travels all over the world, Shanghai, Spain, Padraig, where else? Where else? Name them for me. Well, all that stuff is just starting now. I've kind of got a a laundry list that I've got to be going through. I was in Shanghai, and then I was on the Vietnam border over the last two and a half weeks, and then I'm going to be in London over Easter for 10 days, and then I will be heading over to Spain towards the end of the summer, and then if all goes well and things calm down, I'll be in the Middle East. just depends on how life in general over there is and if it's safe to go over. Man, that sounds pretty exciting. So to scale it back to 93 or before then, sure. who were your influencers, guys you listened to when you needed a push? To be honest, when I was younger, I grew up in a small town in Minnesota. In fact, the Suns drafted our the first kid ever from our hometown to ever get drafted by Phoenix two years ago, a kid named Alec Brown, who played at Green Bay. And it's not like we didn't have a good basketball history, because we did, but it was our own little history. Nobody really cared. We were proud of it, but you know, it was nothing that anybody else was probably really paying much attention to. So I had to kind of just figure it out on my own in the beginning. So I started working camps when I was about probably 18 years old. I started working camps all over Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin. And the big one for Coach Haskins, Clem Haskins, was at Minnesota at the time. And so I would go work. And it wasn't like, you know, he didn't ask me to join his staff, but I definitely built up a relationship with him and his guys. And over the years, several of his assistants have gone on to be head coaches. So it's been you know, that was probably my most fruitful time was when I was just not kind of grinding it out, working for next to nothing. But, you know, the late nights where you just kind of are hanging out and just chopping it up, that's probably was the biggest push for me ultimately. And then when I was in college, there was a CBA team in La Crosse, Wisconsin that was called, at the time they were the Cappers and they changed their name to the Bobcats. And they were one of the most profitable teams in the league. And they were always doing real good. Flip Saunders coached there couple other guys that ended up making to the NBA but Dennis Johnson who was a point guard for the Celtics he came in and they just so happened that they ran their training camp at my old high school and I happened to be there working out and I met Dennis and he let me just kind of hang out at training camp and at the end of training camp he sat me down and he, he was planning on hiring me but he ended up taking a job with the Clippers and ultimately but he was the first guy of any consequence who really had any reputation who told me that I should, you know, kind of keep doing what I'm doing. And even since he's passed, he passed away a few years ago. That's kind of been something that's kind of echoed, you know, throughout, you know, the last 20 years for sure. Man, Dennis Johnson, Flip Saunders. What were some of the, the dark times? Oh, man. I 
from about 18. Well, in college, it doesn't matter how much money you have. So that, that didn't really care. So in college, it was just like a regular college job. Nobody makes any money. But once I finished my undergrad and my master's, I was 20, 25, maybe. And I coached at Notre Dame Prep in Fitchburg. And that time, the best players on that team were Gary Irvin, who was a starting point guard at Mississippi State for a couple of years and then finished up at Arkansas. And then Will Blaylock, who play, got drafted by the Pistons. Mm. But um, that year, we had to live in the house with the kids. The, the house was about 20 feet from the school. There was barely any heat. And you got 650 bucks a month. So you had to figure out basically how that, that was what, but I'll tell you what though, I worked for a guy named Bill Barton and to this day, he's been, you know, one of my biggest supporters and probably a guy who pushed me the most because you had to wear a lot of different hats. And that's actually where I learned how to start kind of doing large group workouts, which has kind of been my, probably my biggest, what I've been kind of known the most for is that we had 20 kids on that team and we only had two baskets and there were anywhere from 10 to 25, 30 coaches at every practice. So I had to figure out how to, you know, keep, you know, that many kids moving and not standing around and have it be something that was productive that these guys could evaluate players with. So that was probably the year where I grew the most as a, as a trainer. And how many years in would you say that was? Well, I was 26. So I was probably eight years in from there. I went to North park university in Chicago because that school has a pretty rich history in Division Three, They won several national championships in the 70s and 80s. And I worked for a guy named Reese Johnson, who had been at Northeastern, a Division One school in Illinois. But then they had dropped their program. So Reese came and took over the North Park program. So I did a year there. And I was a volunteer position there. And I, I was like a part-time teacher at Von Steuben High School, which was a high school that bordered North Park. So I was working full-time at this. I was working part-time hours at the school, and then I was coaching basically full-time at North Park. And then from there, I went to, where did I go from there? And then I went to Wabash Valley Community College in Illinois, and that one was about $700 a month, plus they gave you a place to stay in the dorms. And that's actually where I met Everick Sullivan, and Everick is now an assistant at Georgia State. And then from there, I just kind of, honestly, I got kind of fed up with it. I was kind of done with it. So I was moving out to Arizona just to be, I initially was moving out to Arizona just to kind of start over and figure out a new career. And then two weeks after I moved out here, the Suns drafted Jackson Vroman, a big kid from Iowa State who actually, he passed away this summer. And Jackson got drafted by Phoenix and he called me and he had heard that I was out here, but I was thinking about leaving. He told me to stay out here. And I mean, I probably owe him the most out of anybody in my career because he got drafted. He was a rookie and didn't really have much pull, but everybody on the team really liked him. So he took me to every game, every party, every event, everything Suns related you can imagine for the few months that he was here until he got traded. And that's when I met Amari Stoudemire. And, that, and I mean, that, that team, it was Steve Nash's first year back. It was a pretty fun year to be around the team. And that's kind of what kind of gave me some, gave me a little bit of a position here in Phoenix. And then from there, when Jackson and a Polish kid named Maciek Lampe got traded to New Orleans for Jim Jackson that summer when they came back, they needed somebody to work them out, and that's when everything kind of took off. So it sounds like a lot of your success, if you had to name one skill that helped you, I'm thinking interpersonal skills. I'm thinking just being a good dude and knowing good people in your network. What would you name that skill? I would say that's part of it. 
and then the biggest thing is for me is well the biggest hurdle I think for me that I had to overcome is not being in awe of a good player. Mm. You know, like we, I've had the opportunity to work with Marvin Bagley several times, and Marvin's probably the best. 16-year-old, maybe the best 16-year-old the planet's ever seen. <laughs> and if you're going to walk on the court and be in awe of these guys, or Amari, like one of the first time Amari came to one of my workouts, you know, it was, I had to take a second to like kind of gather myself, but then you either got to get out there and nut up and perform, or they're going to sense that you don't have any confidence in what you're saying, and they're going to walk all over you and probably never come back, you know? So I, I've developed a fair amount of confidence in my knowledge and the other thing, and I think my biggest skill as far as workouts is my ability to adjust. You know, some days you have a workout and you expect four guys and for some reason 12 show up. So you've got to make it work, you know, and that's been probably my best skill. Yeah. And then, yeah, but you're right. My relationship with my players, you know, I've had kids who started with me when they were 10 years old and we've seen them through to pro careers, you know, so those guys are more like my brothers or even like my kids than they are like clients. I had another question, but the question now is, what about those kids you see are super talented or super skilled, but, you know, the parents, when they're young, 10 years old, the parents have the money, you know, how do you go by training those kids and getting the parents on board? And I was going to ask this a little bit later, but kind of segues. Well, you know, I've been pretty lucky that I live in an area where, you know, like I live in Scottsdale, which is surrounded by, you know, it's a nice area. It's a nice part of the valley. And a lot of the parents, even if they don't have them themselves, they're used to hearing about golf pros and tennis pros and what, you know, tutors for their kids. So having someone like me is just kind of like an extension of all of that stuff. But I mean, you still have to weigh it out. You know, if, if there's a kid who's a stud and doesn't have any cash, if the kid's parents are good, you know, networkers, that they're good on social media, there's value in just, you know, maybe you do scholarship one or two kids every year, but they've got to be the kids who show up early and work hard. If they're just a big name, but they don't really add any value to your workout, then they don't do anything for you. That's a, that's a good point. So how much value, I'm not going to ask the numbers question, but how much value do you think you've given in college scholarships and pro teams and uh, emotional benefits, confidence for kids? If you could put a um, number to that. Well, it's hard. I mean, some of that is certainly left up to the people who have been with me. But I would say, like, I was comfortably over the last 12 years, and it's not just me. There are guys, uh, Anthony Ray has been a huge part of this. Anthony's been kind of the voice of Arizona basketball for a long time. Gino Crump has been a big part of this. There have been a few others. Gino's a D.C. guy who now lives out here, who uh, has been a club coach out here for a number of years. But I would say we probably average, you know, a slow year. Maybe we place seven or eight kids, and a good year, maybe close to 20. And this is for so, college? Yeah, yeah, for college. And then on the pro side, you know, the bulk of what I, like, for example, Kyle Tresnick, who was a big kid at Weber State, he's in his second year as a pro. And, like, for him, for example, I didn't choose his agent for him. But what I did do, and what I have done with other guys, is just over the years, you just can smell out kind of the same song and dance from every guy who is trying to get into the business as opposed to the you can you can tell when you're talking to a guy who's been in the business and they know what they're doing and can actually understand what they're working with as opposed to a guy who's watched jerry Maguire and just wants to be an agent that can be a real dangerous thing for guys when they're first coming out of college like blake nash 
who was an NAI player last year but got invited to the Chicago pre-draft. He had some decent momentum coming out of college, even though he was at an NAI school, but he got probably not the best agent, and then he ended up signing with that league in Vegas. So now all that league never happened, and all his momentum is gone. Now, had he ta- had I had any advice him at all on that, it would have gone. Yeah, I'm not saying he would be playing in the top league in Spain, but there would he certainly wouldn't be sitting at home right now. It kind of saddens me. I, I feel really saddened right now about that man because thinking about the experience you can have learning a second language, enjoying a different culture, and just I don't say missing out is Vegas. Come on now, but you know how does that make you feel though? Because it saddens me honestly. Well, you know. The, the thing is, there's the illusion of what it's like to go overseas, and then there's the reality. You know, the illusion is that it's something similar to what the NBA guys go through. And for the guys in the top leagues, like in EuroLeague and in the FIBA, like in the top leagues, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty comfortable life. But the reality is, and this was, it was all ended up being a scam, but the picture that the Vegas League was, was painting was a much more comfortable life than most of those guys were ever going to see overseas. But yeah, you're right. It, the value for most of these guys, at least their first couple of years, they have to look at it, it. It's a way to go on vacation and still make a little bit of money. And that, you're right, they do they do miss out on, on some pretty good experiences. And some guys come back surprised. They learn a couple different languages. You know, Helmacic Lampe, who I train, who's a, a Polish kid, he speaks probably seven or eight languages now. And I mean, that's just how his brain, his brain is just now wired that he can soak up any language he's around. And there is there's an incredible amount of value just as a person, just you know, enriching you as a person. But also, for these guys who want to have careers after basketball, most of them are going to have to do something. You know, this this is almost like a trade they're learning for free. I've seen your Facebook post. You said we took this from a name on a checking account to a movement. Yeah. What do you mean yeah. by that? Well, because giving go hoops was honestly it was just when parents wanted to pay me. You know, I had to always just take, you know, basically personal checks and with my name on it. And I had to come up with a name initially just so parents could write me checks for training. <laughs> and that's really all give and go hoops was, was just was just a name on a checking account. And then you come up with a logo and, oh, that people like the logo. So now, now you look around and there's some T-shirts and you, you go to a gym and you'll see your shirts or someone will post something on social media and you'll see your shirts. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, what happened with me was, all I was really doing, I was Switzerland. I was training anybody and everybody, and I still will, but what, I never really had entered into the club scene. But about two years ago now, about a year and a half ago, a guy named Matt King, who's the head coach at Sandra Day O'Connor here in Phoenix, he took that job, and he had played with a couple of guys that I had trained as professionals, and they were New Mexico kids, and that's where Matt was from originally. And they said, you know, if you ever come to Phoenix, you should just look this guy up. And so Matt and I met and I worked a week of his camp just for the heck of it, just for something to do. And we kind of clicked. And at that same time, USA Basketball had called Matt because he Matt works for USA Basketball in the summertime with the U16s and the U18s. And uh, they asked him if he was interested in starting a pilot program for USA Basketball because they're not really happy with the direction that club basketball has gone, you know, that kind of just encompasses everything. That includes AAU, you know, all that, all the summer stuff and all the, all that stuff. And they're trying to kind of get, gain control of it again. And so that's when we started talking about adding the club teams. And so 
that's also when we realize, man, when you have club teams, it gets expensive. And in the beginning, you got to have some seed money. So that's when a couple named Todd and Carolyn Delano, they had a son in my program. And Todd and Carolyn, they've got a pretty impressive life story. Like right now, they both drive cars that are worth more than the homes they grew up in. <laughs> and they grew up, they grew up in Houston. And uh, Scarface has a song about a street in Houston about how bad it is. And Todd and Carolyn will tell you they couldn't even afford to grow up on that street. So they, and they now run a company called Servex that processes workman's comp claims. It's worth several million dollars and Todd's built it up and he's only 40. He's just turning 40 here pretty soon. So pretty impressive guy. But anyway, the reason I tell you that is because he's made some money and he's done some things in the business world, but he and his wife both were really concerned about leaving a legacy, you know, not just being a family that moved to Arizona and fleeced it for a bunch of money and then left, you know, they wanted to be part of the community. So with their financial backing and with Matt's, you know, position at, at Sandra Day O'Connor and with our position now with USA Basketball, it just seemed like a good time for us to launch club balls. So we've done that. We've been doing that for the last two years. And now when you go to a tournament, you know, you see our parents, you see our uniforms, you see people wearing our T-shirts, you see even other trainers who don't even part of our program wearing our gear now. And that's what I'm saying. That's what I meant when you, you'd say, you know, before it was just a checking account. Now, literally, at least in the Valley, you see our, you know, I'm not saying we're the biggest club because I wouldn't, I don't think we are, but I think we've done a good job of making, you know, our presence known for sure. So, and that, I guess I can ask you all fair about that couple because that's interesting to me. They learned, they earned, and now they're returning with this seat yeah. that you mentioned. So, you've been on both sides. You are on both sides in terms of training yeah. and having an AAU team. What are your thoughts in terms of AAU taking away from training and trainers, more specifically trainers struggling during the AAU time? What are your thoughts on that? I would say that for me, I've been very lucky. I've had... Most of the programs here in the Valley have been supportive of their kids working with me. And I do something too that, that maybe other trainers either haven't thought of or haven't had success with, but I make my young guys get up early with my pros, you know, like if I have a good, good high school player, wow. who's, which is, well, you know, they're up at they're seven thirty to nine every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday morning. And there aren't many club programs that are doing anything at that time. So I'm not interfering with anything that those guys are doing, you know? And so, and the other thing is too, is like, I know there are just certain times I have, you know, been doing this long enough. Now this is my, I'm going into my June 6th will be 12 years here in the Valley. I've learned, you know, that there are just certain times of the year when the kids just aren't going to be available. There's usually a month in the summer when they're with their high school program. And there's usually a month, not usually, there's a month in the summer when they're with their club team. So you have to find the gaps where you can get in there and, and get the work in. But for me too, like that's in the summertime, I have my college and pro guys that are here from, you know, mid May until mid August. So if I don't see all my high school kids or if I don't, if I don't necessarily have that revenue coming in, I can still survive. That's genius. And this is a side question. A lot of trainers, some trainers are successful, but in terms of mindset, they don't have an abundant mindset and they, they claim right. a, a secret sauce which I don't think there's a secret sauce when it comes to training, but uh, what makes you willing to share that, share something that's unique like that? Well, I'll tell you what, there's a couple things. First of all, no basketball guy, as far as I can tell, none of us are any good at, at running a business. And there's something called scaling. 
And you have to learn how to scale a business properly in order to be able to make this thing survive and to eventually not have to necessarily be on the court all the time. And that's where I had some pretty good, like incredible mentors. I have, there's a group called YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And if you look that up, it was started by some, you know, it was started by some pretty impressive people. And the head of the Arizona chapter is a guy named Adam Goodman. And Adam has kind of been a, a mentor for me. There's a yoga clothing line called Spiritual Gangster, and the owner of that is a guy named Ian Laporte. And Ian has been a mentor for me. And then Todd Delano, the the, the husband of the you know the couple that I initially told you about, you know, they're the ones who have shown me how to turn this thing into a business. Quite honestly, I'm still learning every day. Even I'm, I'm 41. I have a master's in education that you know I may or may not ever use, but I'm getting a you know an MBA from these guys every day. You know. I'm learning, you know, and the other thing I learned too, the thing I learned from Spiritual Gangster about, you know, the kind of revealing your secrets is that Spiritual Gangster is, is probably the fastest growing yoga company in the country. But Lululemon is kind of known across the country as, you know, they've kind of got on lockdown right now. But the regional managers, the store managers for the Arizona stores, you know where they have their monthly meetings? At Spiritual Gangster. And it's because Ian doesn't care what they see. He's so confident in his product that if they copy it, go go right ahead. I'll just come up with a better idea. And so that's kind of the mentality I've had to come up with. Like, you know what? And I at first, I wasn't always like that. Like, there are a couple of trainers in town who are doing pretty well, who started working for me a little bit. And in the beginning, I got it did kind of feel like I was, you know, like your intellectual property is being taken or something. But Instead of now, my mentality is I'm kind of proud that a couple of trainers are able to, you know, support themselves, you know, and I was able to maybe have a little bit of a, a small hand in it. And if, if I see somebody now doing stuff that I do, you know, first of all, they're still not implementing it the same way that I am in a workout. And if I see it too much, then I just eliminate it and I come up with something else. And this is drills. This is the technique you just mentioned with yeah. the kids waking up. This is everything. Yeah, everything. Like even like I noticed now. Like you said, you've been on my Facebook page. I've been doing that since I got a Facebook page, which I haven't been on very long—maybe five, six, seven years. But yeah, up until a year and a half, two years ago, coaches were—you know—nobody else was putting anything out about players. Nobody was putting—you know—it's for me. It's like if you look at if you look at my Facebook, it's never about self-promotion for myself. In fact, I, I even put stuff out like if your coach is using. You know, I, me, and my more than we and ours, you know, you, you need to go find somebody else because, and so, but if you look now, like a lot of trainers now are promoting themselves on Facebook. They're promoting players almost like, like they're a recruiting service. I feel like, I'm not saying I was the first one to do it, but I'm, I think I was the first one to utilize it in a way that kind of, it made our company look good, but it wasn't a way where we were bragging or trying to take down what other people were doing. All we're saying is this is our product and, you know, this is kind of the fruits of our labor, you know. Yeah, and I'm at peace with speaking with you right now. That's the feeling I get because there's a really, I don't know the word for it, but you know how to express your humility. But you also, like you said, know how to express that confidence when you do walk in the room with some NBA guys. How do you balance that, the humility and the confidence? Well, it's either that or don't eat. Really, it's kind of what it came down to (laughs) ultimately, but... The reality is, man, I know that if we all, all, you know, at a certain level, all of us are kind of doing the same thing. And, you know, maybe we're presenting it a little bit differently, you know, 
But I, I've kind of come to the reality that there's plenty of work for all of us, at least for all of us that are, you know, have, have achieved a, a certain you know, level of success. And the rest of everybody else is going to fall off. And if I, and I'm not, I'm not saying I've come to this position quick, quickly, because it took me a long time to get to this place. But I just feel like, you know, I've seen how my stuff, how our product has, has performed over the years. And it's kind of, it's, it's weathered the storm. And we don't, the other thing is too, is we don't have a lot of gimmicks. Like you're not going to see us tossing up cones and doing, and you know, there's, there's one trainer in particular that, you know, that basically, you know, it's, it's all, in my opinion, it, it, it's cool. It looks fun, but it doesn't necessarily replicate what anybody's going to do in a game. And I feel like if anything, our product, why it's, you know, why it's survived is because it's pretty much gimmick free. And that, and, you know, I think if we kind of, if we stick to that and kind of stick to the basics, I think we're going to be all right. Wow. Okay. And I guess the last question before we transition into some of the challenges, other challenges, you have a talented team with you. Uh, what do you look for in a trainer? And during the early stages, how did you communicate the vision to get guys like Eric Strickland and some of the bigger guys like Jake to help you out? Well, yeah, well, what we're doing right now, actually, this is all kind of in its infancy right now. We're, we're kind of trying to get trainers from around the country to, since we're, you know, it's inherently we're all kind of competing against each other. And that's okay. But I think there's also, there's strength in numbers. And I think there's also, there's also strength in coming together and sharing knowledge. So right now, yeah, we have uh, Jake Sullivan, who's a former point guard out of Iowa State. He and I have been talking. And then a couple of the local guys here at Phoenix Trainers, we have been talking. Guy named Travis Washington out of Kansas is part of this. John Smith, who's actually played at Winona State in Minnesota, was Division II player two years in a row. He's going to be part of this. Hopefully, Strickland will be part of this. And hopefully, USA Basketball will be, will be tied in in some capacity. But basically, what we're, what we're trying to do is just say, hey, we're saying at a training level, we all provide a good product. But what we feel like is has kind of been missing is a standard as far as, you know, right now, you know, tomorrow, somebody can print up some cards and call themselves a trainer. So, and that's for better or worse, you know, that's just where we're at right now. There's no way to, to really distinguish one person from another. So what we're trying to do is basically service every part of the kid. And so, and to ask you, answer your question, how we've all come together, is we're all kind of like-minded and we realize that basketball is, provides a ton of opportunity for kids who make it to the professional level. But along the way, there are also opportunities like for a high school kid who's a basketball player, it might be the only time in their life, but it is a time in their life when they, as an athlete, they still have a sphere of influence. You know, there's still a fifth or sixth grade kid who looks at the senior, even at a small high school as somebody who could have an impact on him. So kind of our, our goal and our mission coming, moving forward is we want to start educating kids on that power that they have. We want to start talking to them about being ready for, you know, how to make a proper college choice because right now Division One is kind of, for whatever reason, everybody thinks they have to go Division One. Well, if you really look at the scope of Division One, the bottom of Division One is not better than the best Division Two. It's not even close. So you've got to look for a good fit, and we're trying to re, like, reestablish that message. And then, you know, being a good citizen, you know, like we, that kind of goes along with the sphere of influence. But just, you know, when you are, a, when you're a guy who, have, who does have people who will bend over backwards for you, 
you know, I think those kids have to understand how far it goes when you don't allow everybody to kind of do everything for you, when you are self-sufficient and when you are able to kind of handle situations for yourself rather than having everybody around you handle it for you. I mean, I think there's a ton of power that comes with that that I don't know that is being pushed. It's not necessarily a message that's being pushed. And then the other thing that we're really trying to work on is just proper etiquette in social media because I can't tell you how many times a day I roll my eyes because, and it's with trainers and coaches too, just talking about the most mundane things that just really, they do nothing to help you. And all they really do is kind of show little flaws and quirks maybe about you that you necessarily don't want everybody to know, you know, and, like, and we've like also what? had What's an example. Well, like for example, you can't possibly be thinking like, for example, I'll see kids who maybe they've got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because they made it to a, made it to college and every third day, there's a picture of them in their dorm room. Just can't believe how far I've come. You know, just got to thank everybody for how far. Well, okay, you know what? We saw your post three days ago about that. Not much has changed in three days. Mm. And you can't possibly rise and grind and think that you're not. Like, basically, my mess with most of my players is stop being so impressed with yourself. Because everybody's doing that. They may not be posting it on Facebook, but everybody's doing what you're talking about. And they've been doing it for a long time without anybody knowing. Mm. And really, it's the trainer's job to, like, they should brag on their kids. Kid puts up 30 against a good team. We talk about that in the proper way that lets college coaches who might be on your Facebook that maybe they should pay attention to this kid. Not bragging about how, you know, you showed everybody, you know, like, there's a way to do it that isn't offensive. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't know that everybody necessarily has developed that skill. That's, that's a good point, too. And on the marketing tip, some guys believe in having their players post stuff. Some guys believe in highlighting their players like you started a long time ago. What do you say to those trainers who say, you know what, my product is so good, all I need is word of mouth. I don't really need social media. Why would I even care about it? God bless them. That's how I used to do it. But, you know, that's fine. And, you know, if I could shut down my Facebook account right now, I would. But the reality is, this is the era we live in. I don't think I've ever posted anything like videos of workouts. I've posted pictures of workouts for sure. I've posted pictures of groups of kids that are players that we've worked out. And I think that's fine. But don't lie about it. Don't have a pro in your gym one time, record it, and then chop it up into six videos and make it look like the guy was with you all summer. You know, like just be honest and be be honest about what you're doing, because eventually you're going to get called out on it anyway. Right. It sounds like that actually happened. <laughs> I see it all, bro. I see it all the time. Like my first group of pros I had: Amari Stoudemire, Ike Diagu, Jared Bayless. You know, Jake Bosco, Greg Ostertag, Tommy. Like all these guys, I never once took a picture. I didn't. I never, yeah, I know. I never took a picture, never took a video. And the only time there were any pictures taken was when a local newspaper did an article about it, you know, but that was 11 years ago before Facebook was, as big, you know, all that stuff was as big as it is now. But to be honest with you, I'm kind of glad that I didn't have all that stuff because it was good. Kind of like you, like your guys who wanted to go word of mouth. Initially, it was kind of good for me to kind of have like a grassroots movement almost. Right. And now, right. now that that part is kind of already, like that part can only take you so far. And if you have a legitimate product, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with having, you know, all of using, utilizing the different outlets. 
But if all you're doing is rehashing the one time you had a great game or the one time you met this person or that person, there's nothing new or fresh to what you're putting up. Then I just think you kind of show your colors and show that you really don't have much of a business anyway. Mm, that's a good point. So to transition to the guys and the girls who will be listening to it, their pain points are, like you said, marketing, deciding what to put up. Their pain points are high rental fees, sales and marketing, right. things of that nature. What prevents you from having a business that's operating on 10 right now? And what's costing you the most money right now, would you say? Oh, for sure. Gym time is our biggest expense. It's not even like hands down is our biggest expense. I mean, we're several thousand dollars a month for gym time. But the reality is no trainer gets started without a couple coaches floating them a little gym time or, or a high, somebody giving them, you know, or, a, you know, like a, a YMCA or maybe not maybe knowing what they're doing, but not necessarily caring if, if you stay out of the way. But at some point you get too big and you can, you just, you just kind of have to kind of come out of the woods, you know, come out from behind the shadows and, you know, be a legitimate business. But in the beginning, I don't know anybody who hasn't made it, you know, kind of, I don't want to say sneaking gym time, but you know, there's always space somewhere where you can get a couple hours in here and there, but that's no way to sustain a business. Right. So you know, we've built a formula like we use Sandra Day O'Connor High School, which is where I told you about Matt King, the guy who works for USA Basketball. He's a teacher and a coach there. So we've had a great relationship with their athletic department. And, you know, but we still pay a pretty good rate for our gym time. You know, it's not like it's free. It certainly isn't. And then, you know, I also have a gym here that I use that's owned by a church. And the churches, they own the property free and clear. So they don't necessarily have to get the gym, the full gym rate that they would normally get if they were, you know, if they had a, a debt on the, uh, on the gym. The other thing is too, is if you're able to pay up front and buy, you know, and guarantee a certain number of hours every month, once you've built up your business at that point, that then you can, you know, in my opinion, if you can get it into the 30 to $40 range, you're winning. You should be able to make it work, especially if you've got at least two hoops. If you're paying $40 an hour and you've got, say you've got a full court, but you've got, you know, the two side courts going. If you've got four hoops and you're paying $40 an hour, you should be able to make it work, you know? But the problem is a lot of trainers only need a hoop, you know, cause they may only have one, two, three kids. So then you got to find somebody you trust to split gym time with. And then you got to hope that they're not trying to steal your kids. Cause in the beginning, if you've got two people who are just barely making it, you know, it's hard to resist the temptation, you know. Right, right, right. That makes sense. That's a good point. So the way you're going by this, you pay the gym fee up front and that helps you out. 30 to $40, what you say in a month is going to be pretty good. Something you could do well on. What do you use right. to help you, I guess, schedule the workouts or do you use any kind of software to help you organize better? Um, any CRMs? What you do know you what? We use um, MindBody. We use that for our team stuff for our club stuff you know for uh practices and, and tournaments and all that but honestly i've been doing this honestly if, as i grow i've been trying to figure out how i'm going to assess this but i kind of know my days that i have gym time and, and then they've been the same for so long i just kind of always know like i always know every summer my, my pros are going monday tuesday thursday 7 30 to 9 you know i always know that my club teams are going to have skills every monday from 6 30 to 8 you know, and then I know every Sunday I've got gym time from 1230 to three at O'Connor and I've got gym time from four to seven on 40th Street in Osborne, you know, but until you get to that point, I do recommend something, 
you know, just to keep track, even if it's just a calendar in your phone, but you need something to keep track of it. Because the thing is too, is when you're first starting out, if for some reason you miss a workout, you know, and in the beginning, you're probably not charging more than 40 or $50 for the hour, but if that's what you are charging, but if you miss one or two workouts, a hundred dollars might be the difference between making rent and not making it. Wow. Right. Right. So, and that doesn't seem like it's a problem with you. What you say are other, I don't like to use the word challenges or problems. What would you say are other things that you just don't enjoy as much or take you out of flow from your business, your day to day? The biggest thing for me is you've always got to have what we call young blood. You've got to have fresh kids coming in at the younger grades because there's just through attrition, you lose the bulk of your kids between six, you know, you're, the kids you have as fourth and fifth, maybe sixth graders, you know, probably at least a third to half of those kids are going to be done playing basketball by the time they're ninth graders. So you've got to hang on to all the kids who are going to be good enough to play in high school, but then you've also got to keep bringing in younger kids. So it's, you've got to somehow get your, you know, have your name out there and promote yourself in some way. Sometimes it's just showing up to high school games and being around and a kid has a good game and they find out that you train them and then, you know, two or three parents come up to you that way, you know, or, you know, my, my website has decent traffic. You know, I have, we have two websites right now, which I don't know is necessarily efficient, but we have one for our club stuff and one that's kind of more like a bio for me. And you know, we get decent traffic on that. What's, I can't what's imagine decent not, traffic, if you don't mind me asking, how many visitors per month? Unique visitors a month, probably... Last time we we ran, a, like, you know how you can run those, like, you can run a program on them to kind of get a read. Analytics, I think yeah. We had, yeah, yeah. I think we had, I think we were at maybe 2,000 unique viewers every month, but probably closer to maybe 3,000 views a month, probably somewhere around there. That's pretty good. So, okay, tell me this, and we're going to wrap up pretty soon. Unless you need to go, I'm going to let you. No, 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 okay. no, I'm good. Good deal, good deal. So, uh, if I'm a basketball player, and I visit your website and I leave, are you able to track who visited your website? Are you able to track the bounce rate is what the marketers call it when? Yeah, yeah. I have a company, Media Marshall. It's a guy named John Marshall, whose son was actually one of my former players. His son is actually playing at, uh, at Southern Utah now. He handles that for me. But the one thing about all that stuff is that unless you're paying attention to it, you're paying for a service that, you know, basically is not doing anything for you. If you're using it, if you're using the information and kind of for nothing else, gauging yourself against the other competition in town, then I think it's invaluable. If you're not paying attention to it, it's like anything else. You might as well just, I mean, first of all, you're not going to be successful and you're just wasting money. Who are the unique visitors? Are they kids looking at the websites or are they parents who want your services? I would say it's a mix. Like last month, it was mostly kids from China, you know, who had who I had met wow. and who were checking out what I was doing. And then, you know, it, it is, it's, yeah, it's parents, you know, certain these seasons cycle out. You know, you've got a fall season, spring season, winter season. So you'll see a push during certain times of the season because parents are maybe looking to make a move or they're trying or they're just keeping track of when their kids play, you know. And then the other thing is just grandparents. But then the other, the other deal is, too, is I have a decent amount of traffic because of pros who are maybe coming to Phoenix and are looking for somebody to work them out. Like, some people see my Facebook stuff from another country, and they'll, they'll want to check out what I'm doing. So that's probably the biggest thing that happens. I would say somebody sees me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and then that pushes them to my site. 
Okay, and and you mentioned the other the other challenge was getting young blood, the attrition yeah. rate being good. So how do you go about solving that besides going to the games, being around high school games? Well, we have a club program, so we have two fourth, two fifth, two sixth, two seventh, two eighth grade teams. So that gives you about you know seventy, eighty kids all the time that you've always got access to, and then you know that kind of helps you filter out throughout the community. The, the big one for me, too, but where I've had the most success is, is placing kids for college. And it's not that I try to place. I, I would never try to put a kid in college who's not good enough. I try to undersell kids more than anything. But I have had a pretty high success rate of getting kids placed in the right, you know, in the right spots. And ultimately, that's what every high school kid wants to do for the most part is play in college. So I would say that's probably the stickiest part about what I do that keeps people around. I've because I've coached in prep school and junior college and, you know, as a high school coach when I was in college, like I've maintained those relationships and that stuff is ultimately, you know, there's no magic handshake. Like that's why like the scouting services, I, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of because if you're any good, people are going to find you and you don't need to pay someone. Like, and that's what, that's kind of what I tell my parents is part of what they're paying for. You know, if I have a kid from 10 years old to 18 years old is that I help them, you know, get to college parents have given me bonuses when their kids have gotten to college just because they were happy with the product. But I've heard about trainers requiring bonuses or services getting a certain amount of money if they place the kid. Well, to me, you're really not doing anything that special. Mm-hmm. You know, if a kid's a division one player, how much help do they need from a service? Right. But that's how we maintain my kids the most is my relationship with college coaches. Can you tell me a little bit about the coaching, the training, the mm-hmm. coaches? How did you get into that and how is that going so far? It's been cool, man. Like basically what happened was when I was in college, I saw, I I grew up in Winona, Minnesota, which it's a great town, but a lot of people who had to work really, really hard to make a living. And quite honestly, I just realized, man, if I want to make a decent living, I'm going to have to pretty much give up basketball if I stay here. Mm. So I, I was always just constantly searching for a way to pay my bills with basketball and you know, ultimately, like I said before, like I just kind of decided one day I'm just going to start calling myself a trainer and we'll see who's willing to pay me for it. But yeah, I mean, over the years, you know, when I first started, there might have been five guys in Phoenix, not even five, maybe three or four that were making a full-time living training guys. You know, now, now that number has gone up considerably. There are still days when you think it'd be easier just to go get a job working for somebody else. You know, but what kind of kept me going was just you have a few small victories here and there, or you have somebody like Dennis Johnson tell you that you know what you're talking about. And if those things stick and you don't listen to all the other, because it's not like I wouldn't say like I had a bunch of people telling me I couldn't do it, but really kind of my generation of trainers, we're the first generation of guys to do this. So we were kind of, there wasn't a script, you know, it was being written as we're going. You know, now if a guy, I was even, talking to a friend of mine who teaches at Arizona State thinking that they should probably offer a degree, at least a minor, in basically club sports management, you know, because you have to, what's happening is you've got a lot of people with great intentions and maybe they are a great trainer, but they don't know how to worry about their taxes or about insurance or how to maintain clients or how to scale a business. And those are the things that are keeping people from succeeding, I think, not because they don't have a good product. It's just once you get going, Like, how do you keep it going? And as far as that goes, that's not basketball. That's business.
Right. But you said something key. You said you called yourself a trainer. You just put that label on it. I want to dig into your mindset. Like, I'm not sure if you're super Napoleon Hill or anything like that, but <laughs> what mindset shift happened there before Dennis or after Dennis, pre-Dennis and then after Dennis that you think has helped you the most? You said confidence, but is there anything well, else? Well, a big thing is, you know, when you're like, when I grew up, like I said, we our first NBA player in my hometown was just drafted two years ago. So and in some regards, you don't really even know what a good player is. You know, you have to get confident with assessing what a good player is and how do you do it. Like you got to look at who they're playing against. You got to look at, you know, like how big is the game. Like there's just a lot of variables that come into how to assess. So, you know, when I was a kid, you know, a good player in my hometown maybe ended up playing at a Division two school. But until you see an NBA player or you work with a good college player on the court, you don't know what the difference is. You don't know what you, know, you don't know, pretty much. Yeah, exactly, 100%. You know, so that was the biggest thing for me was, okay, what is the difference between a kid who plays at St. Mary's of Minnesota, which is a Division three school, and a kid who plays at St. Mary's, California, that's a Division one school? Like, what is it that makes them different? You know, because every kid, every athlete, there's every Division two, NAIA, Division three team has some kid who's pissed off that he's playing there and thinks that for the life of him, he can't figure out why he's not playing at a higher level, you know? And so, in some regard, if you can give that answer, you're kind of halfway there, you know? Mm. And then I just started having – with Dennis and with some of these other coaches that I worked with, when I would make suggestions or when I would – or like, like I would work training camp for the lacrosse cappers and the bobcats, and then I would do it too for the D-League here, for Phoenix's D-League team. And when I would show a guy something that I would maybe normally only show a sixth grade kid or a seventh grade kid, but it had just as much of an effect on the guy's game as it did that young kid, I started to realize that the pros and the college kids and the high school kids, you know, you deliver it differently, but you're pretty much working on all the same stuff. And that was probably like the epiphany for me, you know, that, that gave me the confidence. Just When I would have a workout and Amari would be there, or Ike Diago, who had just been drafted, you know, like seventh pick of the draft. And when they left there saying it was a good workout and it was stuff they had never done, I started to realize that, man, there's no real secret. It's just stick with the basics. I'm willing to bet the basics because I think of early childhood or elementary school teachers. They can communicate so well with adults because, like Albert Einstein says, if you don't know how to explain it to a six-year-old, then you really don't understand it. And right. it's kind of the similar thing. Would you say that's similar in terms of this this basketball concept and the drills? And these and good players can sniff it out, man. Like they can tell if it's a gimmick and if things don't flow smoothly and if your workout is choppy and there's no continuity from one drill to the next and they don't really seem to really have anything to do with each other. You know, that's that stuff those guys sniff out pretty quickly, but if the thing flows and it makes sense and honestly the guy that I learned the most from about how to run a practice was a guy named Pat Bolin, who was the athletic director of my high school, but was also the girls' basketball coach and the girls' fast pitch coach. And I coached fast pitch with him for about seven or eight years, and there was nobody better at making sure that nobody was standing around. Like, during BP, like in a baseball practice or a softball practice, typically it's one person hitting and a bunch of people standing around shagging balls. 
But at Pat's practices, he'd be running game situations off of the hits. He'd have another group of people doing infield, outfield. Like, he always had kind of just showed me that there shouldn't be any dead time. And you can always fill dead time with something productive. And that was, that was a huge lesson for me to learn when I was, you know, like in my early 20s. Hence why you can have gyms right now where you only expect five people but 20 show up and you have four yep. goals that you can exactly. use and you can run it. Okay, so so the last question from me is, what is your why? Because you mentioned some days you feel like it was smart to get a job and work for somebody else, but what keeps you going? What's your why when you dig deep? Uh, Well, big, huge part of it is just loyalty to the guys that I work with, you know, and not just like my players, but with Pat, but with uh, Matt King and, you know, Carolyn and Todd Delano. You know, they've sacrificed to make sure I could have what I need. And I'm sure as hell not going to bail on them just because it gets a little bit tough and, you know, everything's not focused on me all the time, you know. There's no way I'm bailing on that. And then the reality is, too, is to be perfectly honest, it's hard to make the kind of living that I'm able to make and have control of your life like I do. I have a pretty big say in how most of my days go. And I don't know how willing I am to give that up. Accountability and control of your life. What's the epigram that they say? You do what you got to do to get to do what you want to do. And you spend a yep. lot of a lot of years of your life grinding $650 a month, $750 a month in order right. to get to where you are now, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> So, man, you are an inspiration to me. I really appreciate your time. I know that's the biggest currency. And to be frank, man, this really blessed me because I just felt something oh, wow. something, no problem, something special for this, man. So hopefully it blesses everybody else who listens to it. And uh, hopefully I can stay in touch with you and uh, just have you back. Thanks for listening to the Basketball to Business Media Podcast. If you want to learn more and take the next steps towards growing your business, go to www.basketballtobusiness.com. Like this episode, review us on iTunes, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll catch you on the next show.